All right, welcome to another edition of The Final Mile, where we answer your questions that you send us. So continue to do that. Please send us all of your questions, either through the comments on YouTube or through our website, Freight360.net. Please make sure to check out the sponsors in the description box or the show notes to support the channel. That would be DAT Freight and Analytics. You can get a free month of DAT or a discount off your full year, depending on when you're hearing this uh, this episode. And Blue Book Services for credit and marketing information in the produce and lumber industry and Lean Solutions Group for all of your staffing needs. And if you'd like to learn more about our training options, make sure to check out the Freight Broker Basics course. It's a full-length course on everything from how to start a brokerage, get customers, grow your carrier network, and even hire the right people. All right, Ben, let's get right into it. Our first question, these all came from our community on Facebook or right through our website, the, the questions, the contact us form. Our first question comes from Bree, and Bree asks, how do I get customers after starting a cross-dot company? So this question, um, it doesn't matter if it's a cross-dot company or if it's a brokerage or if it's a asset-based carrier or a dispatching company or really any kind of business, right? Customers don't come knocking on your door. doesn't matter what it is that you're doing. There's a variety of ways that you can go out there and solicit new business. And we recently did uh, a video on how to market your brokerage. And I think that the best way to get out there and, and get new business is going to be a mix of sales and marketing techniques. Okay. And I'll let you, I'll let you hop in here in a second, but I think at the beginning, Right, you you don't have any marketing out there for yourself. Nobody knows who you are, or who your business is, or what the name of your company is, or you don't really have any credibility. Um, so the, the amount of marketing you have is very very limited. You might have a website or a LinkedIn or something like that, um, but it's going to be a lot of the old school scratching and clawing, going out there, killing something, dragging it home, and eating it. Right, that the old pounding on doors, cold calling, getting your name out there. You got to leverage relationships where you have them. So if I work for a crosstalk, or if I open up a crosstalk company, chances are I know somebody else that's out there, right? Whether it's a shipper or it's a carrier or a broker, whatever the case might be, someone that I've done business with before. And I've got to think, well, who would my customers be if I'm running a crosstalk? And further, where am I located? Am I am I cross docking near a border for for uh, you know international freight coming over from Mexico into the states or vice versa? Uh, am I cross docking in a major um, port area facility where stuffs coming in from a you know dredge loads are coming in from a port? Um, so you have to first identify where you know who is your target audience, who's your target customer. And then how do you find out who these folks are and how do you get a hold of them? That's that's my 40,000 foot view on it. Um, anything else you would add in on how to just find these customers or how do you get business going? Yeah, I mean, I would call every major broker that you could come across first, like all of the large ones. And I would call and I would say, I'd like to get added to your list of available cross stocks. If you organization happens to ever have a need where mine is located, let us know. If you get on those lists, the operations department at most of the large brokerages keep those for when brokers need a crosstalk. They call ops and they go, hey, do we have anybody on our list that is by where this guy's broken down or where I need one? That is- Tow truck companies too. Tow truck Truckers. companies are the second. Third is I would call major carriers and do the same thing because they have, I'm sure, lists inside them of where these could be if they need them. You want to make sure you are on Google. Again, even if you don't have a website, 
make sure that your business is at least listed there because one of the first things people do when they need a crosstalk is to go to Google and just type in the location. Because by nature, when you need a crosstalk, most of the times, again, for brokers anyway, they come up last minute. You won't know where you need it until you need it. But for trucking companies, they might have regular business that could use crosstalking. So I would call lots of the carriers that are located near your facility as well, as well as maybe some of the other larger shippers and just say, hey, you know, if you do happen to ever need a crosstalk related to your facility, we're located up the road if you ever need something. Because yeah, again, they- sometimes that comes up. Yeah, I say one of the big things too with trucking companies is, a crosstalk often offers storage space. Well, they definitely do for on the short term, but even like if it's for days. Um, so think about it. If you're a trucking company and you want to take a load for somebody, but you don't have the truck available right away, you could leverage a, a crosstalk facility for storage as well. So that's a value add you could yep. sell as a crosstalk. And if you don't know what a crosstalk is, it's essentially a place, well, as the, the name describes, stuff can get, moved across the dock essentially right from a truck can pull in there the pallets come off they move across the dock and go on to another truck and then they leave right it could be two trucks right next to each other and they just swing it right from one trailer to the other uh, or from one container and a drage move to a truck Uh, it could be that they're offloaded for a few hours and loaded up on a truck as it's available later on Uh, they could sit there for a few days and be on a storage rack it just all depends but you're essentially in the warehousing business when it gets to that point. So you want to make sure that your name is out there in any directory that folks might look at and that you're you're in contact with anybody that could use your services for whatever reason. But that's a great question. Um, next one. How much money do you need to start a... Fr- so the, ac- the actual question is, how much money do I need to start a brokerage and a dispatch company? Um, dispatch company, you need zero. <laughs> uh, I'll get to that in a second. But to start a freight brokerage... And again, we've got a bunch of other content on this. If you just search up the steps to start a brokerage or how to start your brokerage or whatnot, um, very, very minimal cost to start up your brokerage company, right? If you're going to get fully licensed, there's a $300 application fee that you'll pay when you apply for your authority through the FMCSA. 300 bucks if you're going to be a brokerage, 300 bucks if you're going to be an asset-based carrier, 600 bucks if you're going to do both. But for brokerage alone, $300, you're going to have to get a surety bond, or have a broker trust fund value of $75,000. Uh, the surety bond is the cheaper option. You're going to pay an annual fee to an insurance provider that'll underwrite that bond. Um, it's going to depend on your credit and your history, things like that. I've seen them range from $1,500 a year f- up to $5,000 a year and everything in between. If you're going to go with the trust fund option, obviously you need $75,000 in assets inside of a, a trust uh, that's essentially there so you can be, uh, you know, made, you're sure to pay your obligations to carriers. And lastly is, uh, you have to have your, uh, BOC three filled out, which is your designation of process agents. Now you can do that yourself, but most people will pay a small fee of like 20 or 30 bucks and, um, have somebody designate them for the entire year in all 50 States. Additional costs that are not mandatory software. So like your TMS, that's your transportation management system, right? You can check out the link in the show notes for all of our recommended products and you'll find uh, Rose Rocket and Ascend TMS on there. You can get a uh, free trial of either one of those or a freemium version. Um, Load boards, 
DAT, right? You can get your uh, a free month or a, a full year discount depending on when you're hearing this. Check out again the, the link in the show notes for that. Um, and then any additional insurance or tools that may come up as a need as time goes on. But uh, bare bone minimum, it's not a lot of money. Dispatchers, completely unregulated. They don't have to have any money or any license as it stands right now. They're, they are getting more regulated. But um, what I'll say about the cost is you can be sold a million different tech tools when it comes to starting a brokerage. But when you're first starting off, you don't have a need for any of them because you don't have any business yet, right? You don't need the latest, greatest, uh, you know, track and trace tool when you don't have any loads to track, right? You don't need the, the coolest accounting system when you have no funds moving through your, through your system, right? You don't need the highest, craziest um, CRM system when you only have 50 leads that you're starting off with. So bearable minimum, low barrier to entry when it comes to cost, but there is some. Uh, anything that you would say or maybe add in as like, hey, these are what I'd recommend and here's what I'd stay away from at first? No, but what I would say is this is the only thing you didn't mention, and I think has a pretty comprehensive list, is your time. I think you should really sit down and think how much time you can spend on this and how long you can spend that time before you can't anymore, before you start any venture, right? Everybody wants to look at the dollars and what's got to come out of their bank account. And it's important by all means, it's very important. But the one that's most overlooked is, How much time can you actually spend on this venture and how much time are you willing to spend on this, right? Is it an hour a day? Probably not going to see success. If it's closer to eight hours, okay, can you do that five days a week? Can you do that two or three weeks in a row? Do you have other income sources? Like those are, I think, a really important question to ask yourself before you start any business venture. Do you have the time to allocate to actually make sure this thing succeeds, right? Yeah. No, I mean, that's absolutely right. Absolutely. Okay, awesome. Our next question comes from Julio. Uh, Julio asks, I've been cold calling for two weeks and some people just get mad at me for calling. Do you have any advice? Uh, Ben, I'll let you take this one away and then I'll hop in. So for, I'll, I'll start with this two weeks. You're going to have, you're going to have to get some thick skin. I'll just kind of put that up front that you should, you're gonna have to get used to this, but um, what's your take on this? Yeah. I mean, it obviously depends on what you're saying on how angry they're getting. And I don't really know what you're saying on your calls, but apart from that, like it's part of the gig, right? Like if you're going to prospect for any business, Freight brokerage, dispatching, trucking companies, life insurance, financial advisors, realtors, anything where you've got a prospect and make cold calls, you're calling somebody in the middle of the day. How do you feel when you get that phone call, right? So put yourself in their shoes and think about what what you would want to hear when you're being called in these scenarios. I think that'll help you maybe smooth out maybe some of the rough edges and maybe what you're saying or how you're approaching it. But the old analogy is you got to be like a duck to be in this business, meaning like the water has to run off your back as if you don't even notice it because they're not mad at you. They're mad that they got a phone call, right? And one of the things they try to teach you early in sales is that like, it's really important to differentiate this emotion from yourself. Like it's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of the fact 
and the task that you had to do, which is to call them to ask them if they were interested in working with your business. Somebody's upset. They're not upset at you. They were probably upset before you called or frustrated at whatever else they were doing. And you probably just called them at that time because most people don't get angry because somebody solicits them for business. And that is really all you're doing. It is not a reflection on you personally. Yeah, I would add in there too, especially with the market right now, it is a very... It's a very tough time to get in with new shippers because a lot of these companies, especially the larger they are, this is more relevant or more prevalent. They're being told from upper management, we need to cut down and trim down our transportation providers and just really get down to the ideally asset-based carriers because that's they, they think that's their best option in every case. But really trim down, You know, we're not going to bring any more brokers on right now. So I think one of the ways you can really go about this is have a conversation that's not all about what's in it for you, but what's in it for them, right? And don't make the call seem as though you're trying to get something out of them right now and trying to get a load out of them right now. Some of the things you can do is just get them talking about themselves and their job. Like, hey, how were things for you the last 12 months or the last six months? Have you guys seen a lot of changes with, with what's going on? You could preface it with, Hey, look, I'm not trying to come in and um, ask for any of your freight right now. I'm just I'm just kind of curious. I'm trying to kind of get a pulse check on what's going on in the industry right now and see where I can best provide my services to different folks out there in the industry. Talk about what's happened in the past. Maybe what are they projecting for a couple of quarters out? And that way you're taking the focus and the stress and the pressure off of it's feeling like a sales call right now, right? So my guess is this person, they said they've been doing it for two weeks. They're probably going off of some script that they haven't changed up and they're still finding their, you know, they're still trying to get, get the kinks out of it. And it's totally normal in that first couple of weeks to get a lot of rejection and get a lot of people that are pissed off that you're calling them because you might have called them at the wrong time. Maybe you're calling the wrong person or maybe you just sound like an idiot on the phone because you don't, you haven't figured out how to present your pitch yet. Um, so there's, you know, again, we've got a lot of other content on questions that are effective to ask when you're cold calling shippers, but you know, there's no like perfect script or perfect question or golden ticket or pill you can swallow. That's going to give you the, the perfect thing to say. It's all about trying to take what's going on currently in the market specifically for that shipper and asking questions in a way that it gets that person just to talk to you, right? You want to get some information out of them. Again, whether it's about how things were in the past, what they're projecting in the future, you're planting seeds. That's all we're doing right now is we're planting seeds, right? We're You're not trying to necessarily get a load out of every single person that you talk to. It's a great goal, but that's not the end state goal right now. Anything else you'd add on, into that? No. Okay. Next question comes from Frank. How do I get a chassis for a customer's load? Um. So the probably the most common way is there's there's ways you can lease a rented chassis right at the location where it's going to be needed. And you've done more drayage than I've got experience with, but um, typically in in my experience, if the if your drayage carrier does not have their own chassis, there's probably a, a pool of uh, chassis you could rent or lease at the yard, and there's going to be a cost associated per day sometimes an hourly rate to be able to rent that chassis. Um, Fill me in where I've missed any information or if I'm totally wrong, but that's my experience with it. So it depends on, 
It depends on what the situation is. So first off, I don't know if this is a broker or a carrier. Um, if it's a, it broker, a broker asking it, it's okay. out of our Facebook group. Yep. And you, if you are pulling a load out of a terminal or a port, so from a train, basically a train track or from a port coming off a boat, you need to use a carrier that is in the UIIA, Uniform Intermodal Interchange Association. Every carrier that is authorized to pull containers is in that system. The UI has a comprehensive list that you can buy from them. I think it's like 1500 bucks. Or you can literally call carriers and ask them, hey, are you guys a Dre carrier and are you a member of the UIIA? Okay, because you cannot send a carrier into pool from a railroad or a port unless they are a member of that. That organization is the one that oversees the interchange agreements because you're using different people's equipment, different companies, not people. So for instance, in a standard Dre, okay, if you've got a carrier that doesn't own their own chassis. There's two types. They either own them, some own them and will lease them as most. Some don't own them at all and can only get them. They call them pool chassis, P-O-O-L. There are three companies in the United States, I think, um, Chassis Link, uh, DCLI, DCLI, and I can't remember the third. Either way, there are those companies own the vast majority of the chassis that are provided in the industry other than the ones owned by cat chat. Like and I want real quick. I want to, if someone doesn't know what a chassis is, let's just ex- explain that chassis is essentially just the frame with wheels to break it down. Barney style of a Correct. flatbed that a container can go on top of and lock into. It looks more like a boat trailer with more wheels because like there's <laughs> yeah, literally nothing there. It's true. just the frame with basically four pins that the container snaps into. So it's like the most bare thing you could think of with the wheels on it, right? So again, you need to know if a carrier is in the UIA to know if they can actually do the work. Now, if they are, then they will quote you a rate for chassis. And they're going to quote you the same rate whether they use their own or pool chassis. And it's usually like, I mean... 25 to $33 per day, depending on where in the country you are. And the carrier is going to charge you that. And the carrier is going to handle this, by the way. You don't really actually need to know where they're getting the chassis. Have you ever All seen you- them at an hourly rate or like a, a half day rate? No, but they may okay. in scenarios. But for the most part, because it's usually in days, like the railroads and the ports have last free day. So you have day windows to get them out by and day windows to get them back in. That's for the container because the container is owned by another company. The chassis is owned by another company. So as a broker, all you really need to know is, is your carrier UIA? Can they go and pull from the port for you? And then ask them for a quote. You need to know what their day charge is for chassis. And you need to know they're going to send you a list of charges to go perform this work. There's going to be pre-pulls on there. There might be chassis splits on there. There could be bobtails on there. They will break this down. And the hard part of doing drayage your first time is, they're not going to tell you which ones are applicable. They just send you a list of charges. And then after they're done with the work, they send you a bill. You're the one that has to manage and tell your customer what they can expect to pay. And it's subject to change because they could go in there. Things could happen where they got to get a, they need to get a chassis at a different place than where the container is. Anyway, if you want to deep dive into drayage, we did a whole episode on this. Um, I don't know the episode, but we can throw it in the show notes as to what episode we did that really explains this. But if you're a broker, all you really need to know is ask the carrier if they're UIA, tell them it's a dray load where it's getting pulled from. They're going to send you a quote before you send this to your customer. This is important. Get a couple quotes from a few other carriers. 
and then go back to those carriers and ask them, hey, I got your list of charges. If nothing is outside of a normal run for this shipment, what can I expect my charges to be so I can quote my customer? I'd like to use you. This is one of my first one or two drayage loads that I'm doing for this customer. Can you help me? And offer them some return. Offer them to give them the business. Hey, if you help me work through this shipment carrier, I'll be more than happy to send you all the work this customer gives me. If you're lucky, and in most cases, a dispatcher will literally get on the phone with you and explain to you what charges you can expect, what situations would need to happen for you to see additional charges, what you can quote, and what to put in your rate con, because they're going to do the same with you, right? A good way to understand a new industry is literally ask all these same questions to the carrier and do the exact same Mm -hmm. thing your carrier is doing with your customer and add a little bit of percentage. Yep. Um, Episode 128. Drage and intermodal freight and a, a really old one episode 47 drage and port operations. So you can check both of those out. All right. Final question comes from Manuela. Any suggestions on how to find carriers that do partials reefer and dry? Well, <laughs> partial reefer is a pain in the butt. Um, sometimes you hear it called reefer LTL to this day. I have only, I've never found a, great single carrier to go to there. I did at one point at one point find a regional carrier in the Northeast. that was a sorry, regional broker in the Northeast. that was, they offered a co-brokerage agreement for reefer LTL cause that was their specialty, but they had a very small niche area that they operated in. Um, so if you're going to have reefer that's partialed, you have really two options. Well, you have three options. You can find a full full size reefer trailer and potentially put multiple shipments on there that all have the exact same reefer setting, temperature and everything. Uh, yep. Tough to do, right? The second option is you can have it dedicated on a full reefer and just have part of the trailer unused. Another option would be to have a um, like a reefer box truck. They're a smaller. Um, you see them a lot of times oh, in like bobtail reefers. What's yeah, that? They do. They they also refer to them as bobtail reefers. I was looking at them for a customer end of last week. Um, they look like the Schwann's delivery vans, right? Yeah. Like the ice cream yep. or steak deliveries. They have like doors on the side. They hold like 12, 14 pallets. Yeah. I mean, think about, think about the, yeah, the, the folks that go deliver to like a restaurant and drop off all their stuff. Um, you know, it yeah. gets like a smaller beer truck sometimes. Like they're, they're kind of like that. That's another option. They're, they're hard. So how do you find them? It's really, really difficult. Um, you could do some Googling. Uh, I will tell you that, I mean, actually you and I were talking about this the other day. Selectus. Mm-hmm. You could try on there. You might be able to have some luck. What I'd probably do though, is I would probably call um, some folks that you know in the industry that have dealt with refrigerated or climate controlled stuff and ask them if, if they have any referrals or recommendations, even some, some reefer carriers that you may have worked with and um, you know, offer them something to give you the referral to the right area or whatever the case might be. Now, as far as a dry partial, you could, I mean, that's, that's not too difficult at all. You can literally do that through a load board, right? You could literally get them by accident most of the time where you didn't <laughs> think you were actually getting your load partialed and you thought you were paying a dedicated and the truck yeah. just put two or three other loads on and delivered two days late. And so they were broken down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, yep. That's that's totally true. But yeah, you can, you can usually post as a p- partial versus a full on just about any load board. 
um, and just go to any of your, your go-to carriers in your network and, um, you know, they can choose to either run it as a partial, put multiple shipments on that same equipment type, or they could run it dedicated if they've got nothing else and it just is what it is. But um, if you can work the partial game, you can tend to get a little bit more margin out of your uh, out of the out of that business than otherwise. But it's difficult because then you're relying on that driver to be able to find just the right amount of freight to fit on their trailer to make more as multiple partials versus one single dedicated truckload. So, um, so the reefer one difficult dry partial, very, very simple. You can use load boards, go to your regular go-to carriers and just have a discussion with them. But great questions. Keep them coming, send them through comments on YouTube, the Facebook group, our contact us forum on the website, whatever your heart desires. Um, great episode. Great questions. Ben, any final thoughts before we wrap it up here? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills.